All right, Naomi. Hi. How are you guys liking the new place? Oh my gosh, it's every day we're like Kyle, and or I'm telling I'm, I tell Kyle I'm like, we got a house, we own a house. Awesome. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of mind blowing that we have it. I don't know, it just seemed like such an impossibility for so long. Especially in California, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Have so. you guys completed all the feng shui and all the setup and all that stuff yet? Uh, not quite just, well, yeah, I mean, the interior of the house is pretty much done, except for we're redoing the floors, and so we're looking for the correct contractors to hire for that, and then, but that's, like, maybe later down the road, and then we have a bunch of landscaping to do, so that's gonna start, but apparently the place that we hired can't start until, like, eight weeks from now, so it's just a dirt patch, but, you know, it's our dirt patch, and we love it, so we're just gonna wait (laughs) to see what happens, but yeah. Well, right, I'm ready, Freddie. Yeah, well, I'm I'm really excited to have this conversation. We've hung out a few times outside of, um, I mean, just like in the world, in real life. But um, IRL. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know if we've had like, I don't know if we've had an opportunity quite yet to have like a conversation and get to know each other. That's very true. And um, yeah. Esme said that you, and she, I asked her if she was cool with me telling you this, but she said that you went out of your way to help her out when she was working at IGN, when she was new to the company. And mm-hmm. uh, that you didn't have to do that. So that made me a fan of you by default. Aw. And then um, uh, I just, you know, no, you know, don't take this the wrong way. I just love your boyfriend. I think he's great. I don't know why you would take that the wrong way. I just love him. He's I awesome wouldn't guy. take it. I, I get that he is a very attractive person and people love him. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's awesome. And, you know, part of the reason why I'm with him is because I know he's just got that that rhythm, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. great. And, you know, um, and of course I love, so Esme, right? I, have I been saying her name wrong this whole time? <laughs> well, that's the, the kind of the gringo way to say it is Esme, but if you want to do it like the right way, you can say Esme. And if you want to Esme, do, yeah, if you want to do her full name, you can do Esmeralda. You can do it like that. That's fine. Esmeralda. Um, yeah. Esmeralda. There you go. That's you so, can, such a pretty name. It is, yeah. Uh, but the point of this podcast is basically just to have a discussion about mental health best practices as it relates to being in the games industry, just because in so many different arenas of the games industry, there's just a lot of high stress work mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Uh, burnout is a big thing. People get depressed all the time. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to sort of peel back the veil a little bit to for so the audience can get to know people on a more personal level. And you had tweeted out recently that you had a really tough time. Like 2020 was like a really tough year for you. So I figured that might be a good launching pad for this conversation. Of course, if I ask you any questions you don't feel comfortable, uh, you know, I'm sure you'll let me know. And then also the disclaimer would be that neither of us are mental health professionals. So this is just us speaking to our experience. So that's my disclaimer. Yeah, I I would emphasize that for sure. Um, Because I'm still learning. And I think that, you know, a lot of people, you know, this past year alone, but like even before that, there was a huge, there's still a pandemic of, of mental health issues. So I think people definitely need to come at it from like, we're all just kind of in this together. We're learning, we're trying to figure out like how to navigate this, you know, thing, you know, the social media thing, age of the internet, whatever. And, um, and we're all learning. And, and then, you know, I'm always in therapy. So I feel like just by nature of being in therapy, I'm by no means an expert. You know, I'm, I'm somebody who's there to, to learn and to grow and to hopefully, um, you know, 
get through tough times, learn better ways of coping with things like that. Right. Um, but yeah, to go back to 2020. Can you actually uh, introduce yourself real quick? Cause I'm rude. I didn't, sure. I didn't even like introduce you. So if you know, <laughs> you're, you're Naomi and tell us about you a little bit. Yeah, sure. So, uh, my name's Naomi Kyle. Uh, I work in the gaming industry. I worked for many years at IGN, which is pro- probably where most people know me from. I was a host there. I was very green when I first started working at IGN, and then I kind of learned the ropes and became a producer and did the daily fix and stuff like that um, and other shows for many, many years working with that crew and eventually went off and started doing my own thing. So now I'm, I'm more of a freelance, like host by trade person. So I get hired to do still a lot of like opinion stuff. Like I got invited for E3 this year, our digital version of E3, whatever that ends up looking like. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to just go there as a personality to talk about games, talk about the year ahead. And, um, and then besides that, I also like producing. So I'm like creating some stuff on the side, uh, you know, anything in the realm of entertainment or video games, I'm all about that. So those are kind of the things that I focus on. And separate from that, I have for many years pursued, uh, acting. I've done like auditions and stuff like that. Um, I haven't done that for the past two years, but I'm looking to get back into it. So that's something that I'm hoping to focus more on and get back into. But, um, you know, that's a whole other tough road, too. So but we'll try to focus on the gaming space for this conversation. Um, And then I think uh, uh, besides that, I do music. I had a song one time on iTunes called Oracle. (laughs) You want to listen to it? Um, I laugh because for me, it wasn't like my favorite of the music that I've created on my own. And I plan on releasing some of my more original stuff that I completely either produced on my own or with a friend of mine who's who's a musician friend of mine who I met uh, my first year of college where I was studying music, jazz, jazz music, uh, nice. vocal stuff. Yeah. So um, do you play any instruments? So that's the roundabout. Just, just, uh, I don't. Just- I don't professionally play instruments, so I'll I'll dabble a bit with the guitar. Like I have a guitar behind me right now, and uh, I do practice a little bit on there. Like some of my favorite songs, like uh, Radiohead stuff, or um, uh, like just a bunch of older tracks. Coldplay, yeah. <laughs> uh, huge fan of their first two albums. But um, Parachutes yeah, I great. don't think yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's a it's a classic. So I I do dabble in music. I I wouldn't say my focus is instruments more so like singing and I like dancing and stuff like that so that's kind of my my focus and you know having been trained in jazz vocals that's kind of like where I shine the most but I'm trying to I I I very much love pop music so hopefully doing more of that in the future (laughs) how did you get into the games industry to begin with was it something that you always wanted to do or is it something that you just sort of landed in I landed in it. Um, I did start, uh, as a game, like hobbyist, like I loved playing video games on my hot, like as a hobby. Um, and it was something that I throughout college. Yeah. It it landed on my lap. It wasn't even something I thought was possible, I guess, because I don't know if it was because of, I was living in Canada and that's where I'm from. Um, but it didn't seem like there was a lot of talk of like, people in media who talked just about video games, you know, that was just the thing that was very niche still. And obviously it's expanded a lot more since then. And now there's plenty, you know, video game review, uh, journalists, reviewers, like all sorts of things. So, um, but it just wasn't something I was privy to at the time. And I was in college 
uh, trying to make ends meet. So I was working a bunch of jobs and I ended up getting, uh, joining a, a talent, not a talent agency, a modeling agency in Canada or in Montreal more specifically. And so I would do like little modeling jobs around the city. And that was a good way for me to, to pay for college. So I did that. And then one day my agent called me for an audition for Game Loft. It was a video game website. It was the first of its kind I'd ever seen because obviously all the other ones were just like, here, go show up. They'll take photos of you and then you leave. Mm -hmm. um, but this was like, oh, no, you have to memorize lines. There's going to be a script. Like, you're going to be on camera. I'm like, what? Um, and, you know, I had thought about doing acting that I, I was in college at that point uh, for film. So I was very passionate about like creating film. I've always been like kind of an artsy fartsy person. Right. So, you know, digital design, uh, painting, like drawing, all that stuff. Um, so when I first, so I, I went for the audition and this was weird because, you know, they were casting for an English spoken model and every model who I knew at the agency spoke strictly French, except for one of the head models at the company. Do you, do you speak and, French? I do speak French, nice. but I guess that was my edge because when I went in, I met with the host and like, he's very English, doesn't speak a word of French. So I was like very easy to communicate with him. We really like hit it off in terms of like talking about video games that we liked and stuff. And so right then and there, I was like, I guess the only model that was also English and, and played video games and knew about the world. So then I was hosting this podcast for a year and I was like, okay, well, I've done this for a year and a half. Um, what can I do beyond this? Like, you know, I've just finished college. I, I'm just working like side jobs now and, and waitressing and stuff like that. What do I do next? And so the thing was, you know, I was started looking at IGN and I started looking at like, what are some companies that do this kind of thing? And I became really like invested in making that a part of my career. And IGN randomly, as I was looking at IGN as a potential employer, like to apply to them and everything, uh, they reached out to me, one of the producers, Ty Root, uh, who I owe this whole journey to, yeah. if you think about it. He uh, reached out to me on Facebook and was like, hey, we're looking for a new host for IGN. I was like, is this a joke? Because I have not told anybody about this. <laughs> and you're just like this random person on Facebook who I don't know. Um, and serendipitous, you might call it very serendipitous. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I was, yeah, pretty blown away. And then I went through the whole process. There was a lot of interviews. I had to saw a lot of videos and then they flew me out, did the interviews that day in San Francisco. My first time ever, uh, flying. Was it? Yeah, I think it was my, no, it was my second time flying out of country, but definitely my first time in California. Um, and I was, yeah, put up in a hotel and they basically took me through a bunch, a whole day of rounds after rounds of interviews with everybody, hit it off with everybody and then, um, waited to hear if I got it and I got it. So the rest is history, but I was very green. Hutch. I was so green. <laughs> I completely relate to that story, but that's, um, we can get into it another. Oh, okay. Well, no, I mean, I just, it was, just, it was a very similar experience. So I, I had no, I had no experience being on camera talent, the extent of my, I mean, I was, um, you know, studied sociology and Spanish in, in college, oh, but wow. ended, ended up dropping out and, um, was waiting tables and, uh, didn't really have a whole lot of ambition at the time and, and got into, capturing call of duty gameplay to make these sort of silly montages. And then I, um, 
decided to just treat it like podcasts. So it would be like a 10 mm. minute gameplay of me playing TDM or something. And then I would just sort of talk about my day or talk about my life or talk about my girlfriend or just, you know, whatever was on my mind at the time. And uh, it, it exploded very quickly. So in a matter of four months, I mean, it was just explosive growth. And then Amazing. Machinima flew me out. They put me up in a hotel. It was kind of a cheap oh, hotel. Oh, Machinima. But, yeah. But, but, you know, I felt... Um, it was just like a whirlwind. It just, it all happened very whirlwind, quickly. Yeah. Um, it's a perfect you, way to describe it. Did you feel comfortable right away or was it, was it something where is it like a fake it till you make it kind of situation? Pretty much fake it till you make it. Uh, cause I was, I even had like a Montreal accent that I kind of had to kick cause I was saying things like Mario wrong and stuff like that. saying Mario instead of Mario. Um, but no, I just think like there was, an element of I got this and I'm the best for the job. And then the other side of it privately was like, uh, what am I doing here? And I, you know, I play games, but I'm by no means a reviewer, by no means like an expert. I'm not someone who even writes for a living. I, you know, and I, I always wanted to be kind of that person who could do it all. And it just put, I put a lot of pressure on myself, um, to do good, but my main focus then became, okay, well, I'm just going to become a hell of a good, teleprompter reader and a hell of a good um character on camera like my focus i took it an acting approach and i was like i'm going who is this persona like how do i build her up how do i almost like not me kind of like like this is not me this is just like a version a heightened version of me on camera Mm -hmm. and i developed that persona i adopted that persona and i created like who naomi kyle is essentially um when it when it comes to hosting you know and I think that was something that I definitely mastered, but certainly um, took a long time to develop and a long time to finesse. Like I would say it took me like good two to three years to be fully comfortable in that position. Well, you're very so, good. Yeah. You're very good at your job. Thank you. Not, not everybody can do Thank that. I mean, I, in fact, I think very few people can do that. The idea of being a host, yeah, you know, like a, and I had to do some hosting with Machinima, but hard it, it gave me panic attacks sometimes sometimes oh, yeah. I, would, I would have like a physical reaction like my neck would lock up and i was real oh. stiff like uh, christian bale in the first batman where you can't <laughs> really like it was like one of those kind of things and um yeah so i have a lot of respect for people that can host and then keep conversations flowing and oh. um interview Thank devs you. maybe they don't even know anything about the game and it's tough mm-hmm. it's a tough job it's really tough it's super tough. Sometimes you're interviewing PR people and they don't play the game. They just know the lingo or like what to say. Yeah. So I just did a gig recently, actually. Uh, I'm not going to say what it is because it's not out yet, but it's basically like I was interviewing somebody who built a game and like they were so nervous on camera. They had never done off the cuff or teleprompter reading. Mm-hmm. And I was just trying so hard to like, you got this. Like we're going to do a million takes. It's not even live, you know, like try to be, it's worth because yeah it's it's freaking nerve-wracking and that was me too like i was thrown into the fire my first day on the job was e3 live show wow and i'd never done anything live um and then i was feeling uh i think i did pretty good yeah like the fake it till you make it kind of worked you know i was just like emulating who i knew hosted who i would look up to like andrew renee was big um personality that i watched a lot of her videos to kind of just get a sense of like how to be a little bit more animated and more personable. And um, of course, Jess, Jess Chobot, who at the time I was filling her shoes and that was the pressure too, on top of everything, because she was like this veteran who had been in the industry for years, 
was so natural on camera, like knew the ins and outs. And here I was like not having done any of this to this extent before. Um, and by, when I did the podcast in Montreal, it was like once a month, I would do this one video podcast. It wasn't like I was doing this nine to five every day. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then I had to learn to kind of speak to games in a way that wasn't just layman's or like very casual. It was more, you know, like make sure to get the facts straight, make sure you know, like, who the dev is, make sure to know like all the specific names. And I have a terrible memory for names. So I had to really like figure that out quickly. Well, especially <laughs> um, with, with IGN, the, 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 yes. the audience. Expect a certain level brutal. of, oh yeah. <laughs> the, the, the IGN Twitter feed, when I look at the replies on e literally every single one of their posts, I'm like, man, uh. that social media manager, I hope they have a therapist. Cause it's, um, well, Kyle, Brutal. Kyle's a social media manager or was at the, at the point. So I Brutal. got firsthand side of what he de dealt with, uh, oh, just when we were starting dating. So he was the guy that yeah. was running the Twitter account. Uh huh. Oh, when we man. started dating, he was running the Twitter account. He basically, I loved his approach cause I never thought for my own social channels to do this until I met him, but it was like, you just, you act like this is your community. This is your store and you ban anyone who's like toxic and, and being nasty. Um, whereas I think some channels, and I don't know if it's changed at IGN or, or you know, and I've seen this on other, you know, big corporation, corporate accounts online and they don't moderate their chat at all. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's so terrible because you kind of let that fester and then no one nice or having something nice to say will ever hop in because they're just going to get blasted or, you know, eaten alive, so to speak. So yeah, I got to see firsthand the the stuff IGN, and then I did, I got some of it too. Well, you know, I was going to ask you. Yeah, I mean, like, did you? It filtered into me into so, my channels. <laughs> so what what kind of um? So did you get a lot of negative feedback at the time? I mean, it felt like no matter who they put in front of a camera, they were going to get shit on by a certain right. percentage of IGN no matter oh. what. Um, I, yeah, well, I blocked all that stuff out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there was a lot of, uh, it was both. It was a lot of good and a lot of bad. And um, at the time, I didn't even have like a good, I didn't like latch on to stuff. And I think later it did affect me more. Like I was no noticing comments that would really hit a soft spot for me or something. Yeah. Um, so, and I would say primarily the advice I got and everyone ever since hosting anything on IGN has been warned multiple times, not by just me, but like everybody who works there, like, don't look at the comments. Just don't look at the comments. That's a, a repeated line uh, amongst that community and, and those, the people who work there and including myself. I was trying my best not to look, um, but most of it was really positive. And, um, you know, there was, that's the thing too about IGN. It's like, you only had one at the time, you only had one or two female females working in that department. And actually, IG, uh, Jess was the main face, right? She was the face yeah. of the company. And that's the thing that made it tough, too, because it wasn't just, oh, we're just a bunch of hosts working this job. It's like, she's the tentpole female. Now there's another female. And now we're going to compare the two because they're the only ones of it, their right. kind, yeah. which was horrific and i hate to this day and i i dis i just dislike that i think um it's totally unfair to pin just because we're women to pin us against each other yeah 
in a way that's totally just toxic and unhealthy and um, can be guys, really damaging. Did you guys work out like behind the scenes, just uh, ways to sort of avoid those kinds of pitfalls? You mean between myself and her? Yeah, sort of like or, the manufactured, the so yeah, like the manufactured sort of competitiveness that that's also that that all too often happens between women in this industry. Right. Um, yeah. So I think what happened between me and her, because I started, and she had already left. She was living in LA, so I didn't actually get to work with her one on one, except for like maybe one or two times. Mm. Um, and I think what happened. I think it was very tough for me because I was new and I was trying to fill her shoes. So I like looked up to her, you know, I wanted her approval a lot. Like, you know, some kids want approval of their parents. I wanted approval from Jess, you know? And so I was, I was just like in awe of what she had built and everything. So for me, it was more, I was coming from that angle. I wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to be better than her or anything like that. I by no means thought that I could even live up to that. You know, I was, I had a, I had come in so green and so unsure about everything. I had already like probably embarrassed myself in front of every, in front of a live audience, like multiple times at that point. So I wasn't like making, I I didn't come at it from a place of like heightened ego or anything. I am very much someone who in general comes from a place of major insecurity and not feeling good enough and stuff like that. So that was my approach. And that when I wanted, when I saw Jess, I was always just extremely nice. I was like, paid attention to her every whim. I was like, you know, teach me your ways. Um, but she had already started a family. She had moved. So there wasn't a lot of interaction until I moved down to LA, at which point we did go do like a lunch outing. We went shopping and stuff. And it was just this great one-on-one time. And she was like, yeah, it was really tough at first when you joined. Cause I just kept hearing, uh, we love Naomi, like Jess who blah, 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 like in the comments. And that's hurtful. And somebody who's starting out, um, like myself, you know, I already automatically feel bad because that's what's being, that's like the narrative that's being pushed through the comments. And then I couldn't imagine what it was like for her. Um, and I would, you know, I would, if you ever get her on the show, I'm sure she would divulge whatever that is. I, I feel like she's a really authentic person and always has been. I never even in the wildest dreams could imagine, could imagine what it was like for her having to leave a job and then just keep hearing that, you know, cause right. I got in my comments, I still followed her on social channels and I saw what people would say sometimes, or even just in the YouTube videos, like I'm sure she had learned at that point to block it out, but I, I, I don't want to speak for her. Basically she's not here. So I don't really yeah. know like what her experience was like, but well, I can only imagine. You know, it's gotten a little bit better, I would say, in terms of um Yeah. I, I would say the gaming scene has a lot of work to go, but it was yes. it was much much worse, I would say, back in like two thousand eight when I got into it. Oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what year you got into it. And um twenty eleven. Yeah, so it was still pretty bad back then. And uh, pretty new. and yeah, what were you gonna say? Well go ahead. It, it's like you said, there weren't a lot of there weren't a lot of prominent women. Um, as yeah. like the faces of companies back then or, or in, yep. in games media, it was heavily male, male dominated. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I can imagine the pressure that you felt to, to step in her shoes. Cause she was always such oh. a professional. It was like her and Olivia yeah. Munn and like, who else? I don't really, I, uh, no. Morgan Webb, Allison Hayslip. Okay. Yeah. You're more plugged into that than I am, but yeah. You know, the, well, I did look to G4 a lot and I think she even was working for them to some degree. Um, when I had joined IGN at that point, because yeah. they took it took a while for them to find a replacement for her, and makes sense because she's 
like you can't really get anything better than Jess. So yeah. So it's like that. So there was a lot of in between time where I think she had moved and everything. And so I barely, that was the thing, you know, I saw her at parties sometimes, but it was very short interactions and I'm just glad we're friends now. And like, we're talking about doing YouTube videos together and like, yeah. And I love what she's doing. Just being a badass still, you know, like doing what she loves, you know, the mom of, of a gorgeous kid has a puppy, just like me, a French bulldog, <laughs> totally not and totally by coincidence, like, uh, that we ended up getting both French bulldogs, but yeah, she's, she's awesome. And, um, and it was, yeah, it's tough. I think the gaming industry, like now it's just filled with ladies and I'm so happy. Yeah, <laughs> You know, thank God for Twitch. I, I would have to say the, the big thing is YouTube and Twitch. Like that's what helped us um just get you can get an audience pretty much anywhere nowadays so it's like i'm glad just more women stepped up you know and yeah. jess was kind of the person to lead the way you know to 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 walk so we could run so to speak yeah, but yeah. absolutely well yeah. you talked about a little bit about coming from a place of being um insecure person unsure of yourself and mm-hmm. you wouldn't assume that when you watch your content because you come across as so confident and um articulate and uh focused um, yeah. So can like walk me through a little bit. I mean, were you always an insecure person? Like, and, and, mm-hmm. and this is sort of an interesting career to get into if you're, I know what am I, what was I thinking? <laughs> you're into that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm a masochist. No. Um, I think really what happened, it was many different things happening at once. You know, I've been in therapy even when, in a, when I was in a SF, I probably, I've probably been in therapy like seven years, but, um, and I know it sounds like an extensive, I took breaks in between and stuff, but, uh, and not that there's anything bad about it, but I, I definitely wanted to explore that part of me because it's been not only a part of me, but in my family, there's a lot of insecurity. There's a lot of old traumas. There's a lot of things like that. And this is all stuff that I've dissected over the years in therapy. So, uh, I'm still dissecting it, you know, there's so many different facets. Like even just when you said, I want to talk about mental health, I was like, Oh my God, where do I even start? There's like so much to say, (laughs) like there's too many different things. But, um, I think the baseline for me started when I was in school, I was very poor and, um, it was very hard for me to be, uh, included or feel included. And I don't know if it was behavior I learned from my parents and how they are uh, kind of, you know, they keep to themselves. They don't have a lot of friends. They they just like their own little family and that's what they stick to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they still live in the same town they grew up in and everything. So different mindset for sure. And I think being in school, feeling like the outcast for so many years and being made fun of and for, you know, not having the latest cool clothes. I, you know, my clothes was falling apart sometimes, <laughs> you know, uh, just a lot of embarrassment, um, being a kid, uh, in St. Agathe and like growing up also in a small town where it's like my high school was literally kindergarten through high school. You go to the same school, like the same building, the same people throughout that whole time. How, <laughs> so how big was your class? I didn't get any, uh, it varied between 20 to 30 people per class. Wow. Per grade. And you and you were bullied like consistently throughout high school? Pretty much, yeah. Huh. I was always very um because I w- because I didn't have maybe good examples in my life of like what it was to be confident. I always felt like 
the outside person. I always felt like looking at other people who, you know, were just had it down. Like they knew how to be social, how to be funny. Like they always had something over me, I felt like. And that's what festered and like stayed with me for years and years and years. And even, um, you know, in college, you know, I was I was like into indie music and I wore like a lot of dark clothes and I was very like trying to be edgy. <laughs> Yeah. Or I don't know what I was trying to be, but I was always like an, an artist or outcast. Like I remember even in sixth grade, there was a time where all I wore was I was really into witchcraft and all I wore were like long dresses <laughs> and like painted my hands and, and like wore dark makeup and like just had my hair in my face. And did you say just painted, very emo? Painted, Paint, your, yeah. painted your hands? Yeah. Like little like symbols on my hands to oh, make I them see. look like tattoos. Gotcha. <laughs> nice um yeah so it was i've always been very weird and i go through phases and like there was one year uh right when i started high school i was like this isn't gonna be a new me you know i'm well out with the old and with the new i get to start fresh although i didn't really get to start fresh because it was all the same people moving you know from sixth grade to, to secondary one yeah just what we call it um and I was like fresh new me and I I was really I, I went and got all the cool like latest trendy clothes at like the what is considered the Walmart of Quebec. It's called Tigre Géant, Giant Tiger. And and it was all like what I thought was the trendiest stuff. And I showed up and I remember I was, it was really, it was during the T Spice Girls like era. So I was wearing platform shoes and these leather pants, faux leather pants, not real, and uh, this tank top. And my first day of school, <laughs> the uh, leather pants, they were very cheaply made, okay? I sat down and they I ripped split. Like, no. they split right down the back oh my God. and um, I had to go throughout the whole day at school with that. Uh, I think what? I had to borrow like a shirt from my friend. I was going to say, you you, yeah, I was going to say you couldn't get like a sweatshirt. Yeah. I can't exactly remember the details so long ago, but um, I'll, I'll never forget just all the times I was, you know, said to my face, you're ugly or you smell bad or, you know, uh, I would always be the kid at, at, in class at lunch that would have uh, Tupperware. I, I didn't buy my own lunch ever. Mm -hmm. um, everyone else, most of the kids do, not everyone else. You know, there's definitely other outcasts like me, but um, yeah, I, I would just had the Tupperware and it was cheap Tupperware and oftentimes it would open. And so my whole bag would smell of some sort of substance, whether it was like my mom had packed, you know, uh, like fruit salad or something and it spilled all over my backpack and now my backpack smelled like fruit right. um mm -hmm. stuff like that you know so i just always felt uneasy and insecure and scared of like trying to mingle and every time i tried to i made an ass out of myself um or what i thought at the time was being an ass um because well, I, I was just so in need of their you know approval i wanted to fit in so badly well i think yeah. when you're when you're young you you, you look at certain transitionary periods as big milestones. And like you said, yes. you, you know, even though you're going to, uh, even though you were going to a school with like the same people that you had gone to school with, you know, when you graduate uh, middle school or yeah. when you graduate high school, you think it, there's always this, um, there, it was the case for me, there were, there was always this uh, sense of like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, this is a fresh start. I'm going to, I'm going to try right. something new. And you don't really understand. It's not like you graduate high school and you immediately realize, oh, oh shit, there's all this trauma and he, here's <laughs> yeah. all, here's all the ways that it's going to interfere with my life. Yeah. Um, so when, when did you first realize in your adulthood that there were some things that you had to unpack, um, and, and, and heal from, uh, when did I first realize that? Well, 
I always had a, a very troublesome relationships with men. And I was in a long-term relationship with my previous uh, partner um, from 17 years old until 26. And we were engaged and it was just rocky. And I was like, I can't seem to get these relationships to work. And I'm very scared all the time. I hate, I, I, sh I shut down whenever there's a m microcosm of conflict. Um, you know, and my whole focus was like work, 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 work. And that wasn't healthy. And I just wasn't taking time to really look at my emotions. I think it just was a buildup. And then because the relationship was so rocky, it made me want to go to therapy to be like, what am I doing wrong? Like, why are we always fighting? Why can't I defend myself? Like, what, what am I missing? Why don't, do I feel like I don't understand social, like, why does everyone else seem to get it? And I don't, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and it was kind of a way for me, I was hoping to get him to go to therapy and he didn't want to go or was averse to it. And, um, you know, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to go. And, uh, and then I just, to, I really, it made, I mean, therapy, if anything, if it's not couples therapy, it's always going to be like, what's, what's within you? Like, it's not, you know, you have this outside problem of a, maybe a bad relationship or something that's happened or, but when you go to therapy, it's like, it's, we kind of turn the camera back on yourself. Right. And now you're dissecting the inside. And I really fell in love with that process. And I really was getting a lot out of it. And I also felt like I needed someone to be able to talk to about this because a lot of it was being kept to myself. I wasn't telling any of my friends about the troubles at home that I was experiencing. Some of it, a lot of it was emotional abuse, um, related and, uh, and yeah, I just had, I just didn't have anyone I could confide in to, to talk about it. Cause I felt kind of ashamed and almost like like I couldn't say anything as a way, like it would betray the relationship if I did right. say anything. Yeah. And, yeah. and I needed just like a, a neutral party. And that's, that's kind of where it started. And I would say that was around when I was 25 or something, I started, well, well hold on. Yeah. That would make sense with the math. I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I think so. Oftentimes your goals with therapy will change. Like you, you'll go to therapy yes. in the beginning and you might've been thinking, okay, well, it's like you said, you were looking for your fault as to why yeah. there was so much conflict yeah. in your relationship and then through the work and it doesn't usually doesn't yeah. happen overnight. I don't know about you, but like when I first went to therapy, I kind of had like a goodwill hunting vibe, you know, <laughs> yeah. like I'll go for a couple right. months, have a burning bush, epiphanal experience <laughs> right. and then, you know, be ready to conquer the world. And, and, and in reality, it was something that took me years of therapy before oh, yeah. I uh, understood yeah. what my goals were and um and uh started to really reap the benefit but the first few years are, for me were kind of tough like i was i was pulling back some layers that i hadn't really done before or i i thought that i had but not in a, not in a therapeutic setting not in the in a sort of meaningful kind of way more in a superficial way and yeah. um uh that can be difficult um and i wonder if that was sort of similarly your experience with therapy as well more of a slow burn than a than a burning bush Oh yeah, definitely a slow burn. And I would say I got the most out of it when I finally left IGN. Cause then I wasn't like forced to be anything, right? I wasn't like on camera every day trying to be this cam like camera person. Like 
everything's fine and dandy. You know, that was the kind of escape that I had was I'd have like rocky nights at home and then I would go to work and sometimes like on the verge of tears, but then I'd have to like repress it to get on camera to do my job. I couldn't do and that. There's no way I could do that. Well, I'm not, I I'm don't not, know how I did it, but I, I did I'm it. I'm not good at, I'm not good at hide. If I'm upset, I, you know, it's really hard yeah. for me to put on a face. Um, Interesting. So, yeah. Well, that's like Kyle too. And I think that helped me, but because I'm somebody who, if I, I think that the, the dynamic that I've discovered actually just this year. So like, like you're totally right in terms of like, it's peeling back very thin layers until it gets to the chunkier, deeper, like middle ground. And this year, I feel like I actually had a lot of breakthrough moments and um, talking to my sister too, who's also in therapy. We kind of just had great epiphanies together, but um, I met with her, right? my- You just have the one sister? Yeah, I have a sister and I have a younger brother, okay. Sammy, who uh, lives with my parents still. But uh, yeah, so my, what was I saying? Oh yeah, my, my family dynamic was a lot of like, my parents cannot handle any stress. Like the smallest thing is an immediate crisis. Like, you know, everything's just like zero to hundred um, when something bad happens, you know, and, and their like threshold for bad is like, they can't handle any bad, you know, even the smallest amount. So it's always like, I'm going to be the person in the family who's going to try to keep the peace and who's not going to be a burden. And so even if I'm sad or not feeling good, um, yeah. that's not something to put on my parents right now. Cause they can't even handle that, yeah. you know? So I'm just going to try to deal with it on myself and I can only rely on myself to take care of myself kind of thing. Yeah. So that was my problem <laughs> or of the many things that I've realized, um, have come to be a part of my psyche. Uh -huh. That was, a big one. And so I couldn't open up and I couldn't handle conflict when it came to like my closest relationships. Cause I would just shut down and it would be very traumatic for me. Cause it was reminiscent of when I was growing up, which my parents, you know, there was just a lot of yelling. It was very chaotic growing up. Um, well, you fit, and you, so, you fit into these certain roles when you're a kid or you, you develop these yeah. certain personality traits as a means to sort of cope with the home. And I think everybody yeah. does that to a certain degree. But some people like me, I became a joker. You know, that was my way of diffusing tension in yeah. the home was developing. Yeah. Um, uh, my sister's that. She's so a, she's a joker. Yeah. Yeah. And then other people, they become like a third parent um, where they take That's on me. all kinds of responsibility. <laughs> right. And then, I mean, yeah. there's, there's all kinds of different archetypes that people take on. And, um, yes. and those, and those personality traits will serve you well as a kid. It's, you know, it's really kind of a marvelous thing that your brain does to help yes. you survive the circumstances. But it's not in. supposed to be that way. And that's where the trauma comes in. Like, you when know, it, when it bleeds into your adult life and then all of a sudden yes. you have these emotional reactions that you can't quite describe or understand. Um, that's mm -hmm. when it gets tricky and that's where therapy is really useful. Um, yeah, I, th I think, yeah. Um, no, I mean, you're, you're saying it perfectly. That's exactly why it's good. It's cause you're very, you're very confused and you're not aware. You're not as self-aware about your own behavior and why you're doing things. And it just takes a lot of like looking back inwards and, and reconnecting with like, that person that, cause you know, it's a lot of it. And I've actually, I've pulled this from a video. Probably I've watched so many videos and pod listened to so many podcasts and therapy and, but it's like you develop a mask, right. To be something for someone else. Cause you want to be included. You want to be accepted, right. Whether that's your family or in another social scenario. And yeah. that mask is just you pushing further away from yourself until there's kind of like a break, right? You start having 
um, the, the facade kind of breaks down, especially, yeah, like you said, when you're an adult, because in the end, it's you're trying to get your needs, your needs met as a kid. It's like, oh, if I if I just don't be a burden, my parents, they'll be able to, you know, give me attention or give me love or whatever, yeah. which is what a kid needs. Like, I shouldn't have to worry about my parents when I'm a baby <laughs> or yeah. a kid, you know. Um, but that's what was put on me as a kid. So, um, that was, uh, that was the thing that I had to learn to kind of understand was a part of my psyche. And also, um, just for, for me to reconnect with myself. Cause like, yeah, it was just, I was just being something that for some, something for someone else who wasn't, I wasn't doing for anything for me. You know, mm -hmm. I wasn't like living for me and being authentic to myself. That seems like a really difficult time to start therapy when you're this like face of a company. Um, yeah. Like, and there you, was a lot of other stuff too. Well, oftentimes you don't want to, um, but yeah. Well, uh, do you want to get into that? What do you mean? Well, uh, like, well, yeah, I didn't want to talk about it at the company. So let's just touch on that real fast. Um, I, I, at the time had a manager, um, who was in a, it was a very unhealthy dynamic between myself and him. He was, you know, very about my career, kind of obsessed, very intertwined in my personal life in a way that wasn't very healthy or not professional by any means. So um, he, you know, would spew stuff to me that I would just absorb and, and I guess would take in, um, you know, like internalized uh, misogyny, internalized um uh, self-loathing, like in stuff that he would tell me, you know, like, you'll never, if you leave me, you'll never make it. You'll never find a manager again. If you leave me, um, what? you know, like a crazy amount of stuff, he but here's, serious? oh yeah, he was being serious and it was always presented in a kind way, but it would, you know, seep in. And eventually I heard it enough times where I believed it. And I was also coming at it from a point of, you know, I want to be successful. I want to do my career right. I want to do this right. Whatever, you know, this career ends up being, you know, and I was pursuing acting and stuff. So he was like, Hey, when, when I first met him, it was like, Hey, I'm a Hollywood manager. Just follow my lead, like be a good soldier. And I'll take you to the promised land. That was his line. I'll take you to the promised land. Um, and I wanted it, you know, I, I was, I was in pursuit of like this big, massive career that would fulfill me or whatever. And you're always looking for fulfillment outside of, you know, what is actually going to give you true fulfillment. And that's a whole other conversation. But he was telling me things like, don't tell IGN that you're in therapy or that you're depressed or you have like, you're having trouble in your relationship because a company can use that against you. Like he was very, had gone to school for business or something and like probably at some point was told that. And so he would tell me that. So I had to keep it very private <laughs> that I was in therapy. Yeah. Um, and I had to keep my, my life, like how I felt about things, like my opinions on issues you know, and I, of course I was under IGN too. So I didn't want to like break that as well. I had to kind of maintain a neutral thing for, for, to some degree when yeah. it came to being under IGN, but you know, he took it to the extreme where like, don't talk about personal stuff. Don't, don't be opinionated, too opinionated on Twitter. Don't try to like, um, uh, polarize your audience, stuff like that. So there was all sorts of stuff he was spewing at me. And so I kept all that stuff very private now, luckily, and you know, thanks to me too movement, black Lives matters, all these different like pushes finally in society to be outspoken, to say, speak your mind, be authentic. Mm -hmm. That's like a new thing. Tech I mean, I feel like 
it's pr- relatively new, right? Past five years or something. Yeah. Um, and so now I'm finally like f- developing my sense of uh, having that when it comes to my online persona. And, your and, voice. Your voice. Yeah, my you. voice. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, that was the other thing. He would, this other person, again, unhealthy dynamics throughout my whole life up until this point. <laughs> right. Well, uh, you know, definitely Kyle helped me a lot through that because he was like, wait, this is not good. Here's how you set boundaries, blah, 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 blah. Um, cause I wasn't a boundary person, you know, mm-hmm. I wanted to be accepted and I wanted to be a good student and I wanted to do my career right. And I wanted to, to be great to work with and all this stuff. So, yeah. but, um, this person, uh, would tell me things like, um, like, oh, I'm helping you find your voice, like go out there, you know, I'm trying to empower you and stuff like that. But then in the meantime, he would do this other stuff that was extremely toxic super unhealthy for for my own self um image and stuff like that yeah uh so yeah anyways parted ways with that guy (laughs) i did the i had the opposite problem well i don't know if you want to call it a problem but like i would overshare so so when i I first started seeing a therapist i would you know go outside for a smoke break at machinima and then my buddy chris would come out and yeah i just went to therapy we talked about my dad you know like that i would just like really kind of um that's good I, I, though. Well, that's a good a, way to be to a certain extent. But you know, right. I started, I started to learn that you do have to sort of develop trust with people before you open up in that way. True. Like you can True. be somewhat vulnerable, yeah. but maybe, you know, s- s- save some things for like your good friends that you know, aren't going to like judge, which you it or, seems like for the most part was with your good friends. Right. Or, um, or you were sharing that with people you didn't. No, so my problem was I wouldn't thing. share anything to, to the close people, like the people that were closest to me. But then I would overshare with people I didn't know because it was kind of like my way of kind of um, well, getting out of of this like. Unhe- Sorry, what did you say? It's safer, right? Because, you know, if it's a That's, sa- this is exactly it. Yeah, yeah, it was safer. Yeah, because then they didn't know me. You know, they weren't going to go, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I definitely couldn't. At first, that was my problem, too. And it's something I also learned from my dad because my dad, um, you know, has his own traumas and stuff. Uh, but he would always be super nice to people who weren't part of the family. And then when he was in the family and it was just in private world, it was like chaotic and he was, he would get angry or he wouldn't be as nice or as like, you know, personable. He wouldn't try, you know, it was just like, um, it was just hard to, to get him to, to open up to us. But then everyone else, he was like, everyone loved him, you know? So it was very, um, challenging, but Part of being an adult or part uh, part of what it is for me, I don't know about your situation, but part of um, right. one of the big things of one of the big parts of becoming an adult is learning that, you know, whatever, whatever idea you have of your parents in your mind of, you know, mm-hmm. what kind of what kind of parent they could be to you. Yeah. And, all, and, and, and do all the things for you that, that you wish they had been doing the whole time. Part of part of being an adult is letting that go and accepting them with their yeah. flaws. I mean, to a certain extent, obviously, if if you know, parents can be incredibly toxic. So I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying you have to accept every little thing about them, but recognizing limitations of the previous generation and, uh, yeah. and then, and then realizing that you're not going to change that. And it doesn't yeah. mean that they don't love you, but you know, you're not enough to change deeply ingrained and embedded, um, patterns of behavior, uh, which can be yeah. kind of difficult. It can be tricky, you know, cause you get sometimes an idealized sense of who your parents are and, and, um, and, uh, yeah, it, it it is. It parent stuff is tricky, but that's like therapy is like the best place to to go and tackle that stuff. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. let's talk about a little bit about the like you, you talked, um, I, you know, obviously only share as much as you feel comfortable, but you said this last year was particularly difficult. And I'm just wondering what are, what are some, because we like to talk about solution on this podcast. So like, yeah, how did you, um, how did you get through it? Okay. Well, I had Kyle, who's great. Um, and he definitely helped me open up too. Cause the problem was I was still keeping stuff, a lot of it to myself being like, I don't need anybody. I can handle this. Right. Um, but I think just last year and actually I'd say since leaving IGN, I've, it's been a rocky up and down stuff. And I, I also have, um, what's known as PMDD, I believe. So it's like PMS, but like 10 times worse. <laughs> um, so that contributed how do, how to, does that work? so it's, uh, PMS symptoms. You, I'm sure you understand like women's menstrual cycle it comes with a bunch of other stuff like back aches and, um, depression and like, uh, pain physical pain. Mm -hmm. But I have the worst version of that, which is um, basically like two weeks, sometimes less. I'll get really tired, really depressed, um, and I'll have extremely bad cramps. So I don't know what causes it. And I I don't think it's a known thing what causes it, but. And this is once a month. So like half your months are like this. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been trying to manage that and it only pretty much started uh, probably the last year that I worked at IGN. And well, no, actually I have stories before that where basically if I don't take pain meds like a good week before my period starts or if I don't take it like right when I feel the first cramp, um, I'm screwed. Like I'll have to tell ha- I I can't eat anything because I'm in pain. Um, and then I need to eat something to take the medicine. Cause if I take the medicine without eating, I'm going to puke it up. Yeah. Um, sometimes I would wake up like that with pain and I would be like, okay, I'm not hungry, but I'm going to go stuff my face right now so I can take my pain meds. So hopefully they kick in at a decent time and I'm not ar- walking around moaning and groaning and, and in pain and not comfortable. Jeez. It's really bad. And I actually had an aunt who uh, would pass out her pa- her periods were so bad. So um, yeah, it's I, have, bad. I, have, I have four older sisters, by the way. So, I mean, so you get yeah, it. So if you feel uncomfortable, yeah, yeah no, but, I'm not uncomfortable. Okay. Oh, I, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll even tell you like the whole, th- I'm very open about that stuff, but, um, yeah. So that's something I had to get a, a manage, like I had to learn how to manage. And one of my solution was one of my solutions was just getting on birth control. But the thing with birth control, it's kind of like Russian roulette on like what symptoms you're going to get. Yep. So I started birth control, I think, October of 2019, um, just to see if I could skip my period entirely. And the first birth control I got on, I broke out in like pimples, basically all over my stomach or what were like little red dots. I was, I would have moments where I would be doing curling my hair and all of a sudden I'd be like super happy and then extremely sad in like a moment's notice for no reason. Like I would just start crying and I'm like, I don't know why I'm crying. I'll be like, are you okay? And, oh, no. um, it was so bad. So that one I stopped using, um, but it, t- it takes a while. You kind of have to give it a chance. Right. So you can't just like stop it abruptly. Really kind of have to give it like a month or two and then, and then stop the, that one and then start a new one. And it's not a good thing to do. Um, some people like get other symptoms just from the fact that they're doing that. Like it, you're just introducing hormones into your body. So it's not like, um, and everyone reacts to those different, uh, uh, birth control differently. So anyways, long story short, 
got on birth control, got, got managed that, but the depression was still there. So, okay. Um, 2020 started, I was very enthusiastic. I had my caffeine show that I was doing, uh, which wasn't doing so well in terms of like, cause it was a new app and you don't, there's not like a built in audience right, yeah. for, for caffeine. So I'm, I don't know where they're at now, but at the time it was pretty new and they were putting a lot of money into like developing content. And so I was so proud I had my show and they were shooting it out on the Fox lot and I was able to get guests over and like hire, you know, I was hoping to hire a makeup artist, but that fell by the wayside anyways. And, um, and Basically, my show had to go into lockdown. I was shooting it from home. It looked terrible. I, I was like, there goes my dream. I was this was like the thing I was hoping to like really make it my own and develop it. And so that kind of started a spiral of just not feeling again, same things, feeling not good enough, feeling worthless, feeling like um, I'll never make it, feeling like all my dreams are gone. Like this is, you know, I'm a I'm a what do they call them? Like a uh, washed up star or something. And, uh, those all came in. And, um, and then on top of everything, everyone else who I knew was having a hard time with this COVID thing. And my sister, especially, uh, she's trans and just had her surgery, uh, for, um, to become fully trans Mm or sorry, fully female. I forget what the term is, but, um, transitioning, right? Transitioning. Yeah. So she, uh, had that surgery right like a month before lockdown and she was supposed to quarantine anyway. Cause like you're supposed to um, take time off and like you're bedridden and you have to be taken care of and stuff. So um, she was in lockdown and then something happened where, you know, and I'm sharing this having spoken to her like, Hey, are you cool if I share this? Mm-hmm. Um, she's totally fine with it. So, uh, but she like had a situation where the results of the surgery wasn't what she was hoping for. And she had already done so much prep work, so much planning, had ended this like really long-term, not super healthy relationship with uh, her first like long-term relationship, actually a second long-term relationship, but uh, it was very tragic. She was suffering from grief from that and she had become suicidal because of all this. Um, She was like, I'll have to go back to surgery. I don't want to, I've ruined it forever. Like there's no going back from this. My surgery, if it's not perfect the first time around is basically that's what you're stuck with or whatever. She just, she was, she was going through it and very, um, you know, and she's always had a depression ever since I've known her. Um, So, you know, I was trying to support her while dealing with my own stuff. So yeah, that can be tough. Um, yeah, it was super tough. And so I think I, I did say long story short at one point, and I'm realizing this is a very long story, <laughs> but <laughs> we have time. You're good. Yeah. So I just, I think like it just all culminated to a point where I was just drained and really sad all the time. Like the sm- sl- smallest things on TV would make me cry. And um, and then you know, I would just a, cry randomly and it was rough. You know, what's a good measurement of, um, depression for me is just, how do you feel in the morning? Like, I know, I know, oh, I'm yeah. de- I know I'm depressed as, as soon as I wake up, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm just looking forward to the, the evening. That is when That's I know really it's, cool. it's real bad. Like once it gets to like eight, 9 PM, maybe I can start drinking a couple, you know, a couple glasses of whiskey and put on some, <laughs> right. put on some TV show and zone everything out. But that's mm-hmm. when I know it's really bad when I wake up and I'm like, fuck. That's like the first thought I have. 
what I would call it, and actually that's a good way to measure it because I haven't had that in a long time, but throughout that whole, whole time, sorry, I just had a dinner before this. It's okay. Um, but you can barely she, hear it. Yeah, barely. Good. Uh, you can edit this out, right? Um, but yeah, I think, uh, what happened, yeah, what happened for me was you're right in the mornings. And I would always talk about this in therapy was I just feel doom and gloom. Like I wake up and I have all the worries in the world and all the weight of the world on, on me. And I feel like I don't want to get out of bed. Um, and I did, you know, my house got messy and thank God Kyle was there to like help pick up some of the slack, but like, you know, some days I couldn't even like, couldn't even get up like I just couldn't do anything I was mm -hmm. bedridden um and that had happened as well before I think three months after I left IGN I had that as well like another bad depression spell but um yeah the mornings that's a good tell because I'm that's actually really helpful um because now I can hopefully have a better radar because that's the thing about depression it's like not something I don't know like so many people I'm like you know I have a friend from Montreal and she's going through it too. And I'm like, you're depressed. And she's like, no, it's just this or that or this, you know, and you try to like make excuses or something, but like really take a look and like, see if this is how you've always been. And, and that was the thing. I just didn't know. I, I was like, no, I'm fine. I still go to work. I'm still doing things, you know, but deep down I was really having a hard time. And, um, I think what really saved me was therapy. Um, I was going to therapy like twice a week for a while there Wow. went down to one week now i'm one every other week okay. um but what the other thing is that i did um which a lot of people are either adverse to or they're all about is um taking antidepressant medicine right um so yeah i got my first dose of zoloft 25 milligrams i don't know it was like the second to last month of last year and it pretty much like flipped the switch for me or at least got my head above water so I could function again and get right. back to like working out. Like I gained a lot of weight. That was also not very helpful. Um, and so just I think that is something that I've pushed, you know, my sister to get on. I pushed I didn't push, but, you know, I was like very adamant about like you should just try it and look into it. Um, well, and then, yeah. If, if you could give someone, so there's, a, I get a lot of messages now, which is really cool. I love it. Um, I get a lot of messages from people that, um, maybe not a lot, a lot, but you know, a few here and there every week, but people are reaching out and saying that they're listening to the podcast. And, um, one of the reasons why they, they re finally decided to reach out to a therapist was just hearing people speak so openly about it, which is kind of the point of the podcast. So it makes me feel great. Um, good. but if you have, um, if you had some, some advice that you could give to someone who is considering doing it. Um, yeah. What would you say to them? Considering starting therapy. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, it's tough. Cause I, yeah, I would say, Hmm. Cause I, I just know so many people who I've recommended therapy. It just, sometimes they're so averse, like they just don't want to go there. Uh, so I'm trying to think of a way to immediately flip the switch and get them to go. I think going there, um, don't expect to, yeah, like you said it at the start a little bit, it's like, don't expect an epiphany to happen right away. It may not, you may never get a full epiph like moment, right? It's, it's usually just a slow drip throughout. It's a gradual 
process. Um, So go in it with that in mind and really just know that this person is there to be there for you. And I think what helped me and this, I don't know if this is helpful, but for me, it was like, oh, I kind of have like a mom and a dad who I can go to who's who I don't have to worry about, which was my problem. I was always worried about stressing out my parents um, and who I can just really be open with and um, and and then come to like maybe write down personally just to yourself, like some of the things that you really hate talking about to anybody else you just keep to yourself um whether that's a situation that happened something that has been bothering you or what's been on your mind a lot lately but you haven't told anyone like Mm -hmm. write those things down and go there with with the idea in mind i'm gonna go there and i'm just gonna i'm gonna blurt it out (laughs) you know as much as you don't want to say it like go to the uncomfortableness because that's gonna lead you down this 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 um healing path yeah like what makes you uncomfortable like what don't you like talking about like those are the things that once you let have like once you divulge to someone else it's it might surprise you how much relief you get from it because you kind of like can unload all these things you feel ashamed about guilty about on this person and it's almost like a weight's been lifted because you're not holding on to it to yourself by yourself anymore. You kind of I in, thought that was really helpful to me. You're kind of indirectly um, listing your goals when you do that. You know, like uh, yeah. uh, when you, t- you you mentioned, you know, talking about things that make you feel uncomfortable. But, you know, yeah. all these all these different traumas that people go through in the in the in the in the ways that dysfunctional behavior manifests in your in your later years. It's kind of hard to spot when you're in it. But. Yeah. If you go through a rough patch for like six months or a year, should be kind of easy for you to recognize, you know, these are the areas of my life that are not stable. You know, maybe it's relationships. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, one of the first things that a therapist is going to ask you, I've seen many different therapists throughout my life. Um, A similar story, you just sort of on again, off again with approach to therapy throughout my adult life. But every single Mm -hmm. one of them during the first session, usually like 15, 20 minutes in something like that, they'll just ask you, so why are you here? And if you go in there sort of prepared to answer that question, I think you could, you can kind of expedite the process. If you just, if you just sort of decide one day I'm going to call a therapist and and just show up and see where it goes. Like, I'm sure that'll go fine as well. But if you, Mm -hmm. if you can just internally prepare yourself to answer that question, I think you're setting yourself up to skip a few steps along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you, you said something too about like, uh, not knowing for sure if you need therapy or like after your six months or a year in of like not feeling yourself or what have you, like, I can guarantee you every single person on this planet will benefit from therapy. Literally everyone. Um, every literally everyone life, yeah. in my in my opinion everyone needs therapy. In my opinion we all have traumas whether we know it or not from our childhood, from how we were raised. Um it's something I truly believe should be a part of uh, an education of a child. Mm-hmm. Um in some capacity or that kids should just have access to therapy at a very young age. And that should just become a normal thing for every child to go through. But, um, though I have to say, I don't think Sir Patrick Stewart 
needs therapy. I don't need him, but I sort of get the only vibes. person that and my grandmother might be the only people who don't need it. Mm-hmm. Or Ian, yeah. Mc- Ian McKellen, I really doubt he needs therapy. He's just probably right. living his best life at this point. But everybody Could've, else can agree more. Yeah. yeah. Also, don't be afraid to talk about, um, you know, uh, if you go to therapy, like, don't be afraid to touch on that, like, the stuff that makes you feel ashamed. Like, I had a really thing where I was, like, scared to talk about my sex life or whatever. Some people are, like, totally open book about that stuff. But I was, like, it was it was a block for me where yeah. I just had to go there one day. And that they're totally open to that, you know? And they will not make it feel like you should be ashamed. They're not, they're not going to make you feel like, ew, what are you talking about? Like, ugh, get out of here, you know? Yeah. You can literally talk about anything. And that's kind of the beauty of it. It's like, no one's going to judge you. Like, yeah. Shame. I can recommend it more for everybody. Shame is one of the most toxic emotions that people can feel. And um, Yeah, and me, I had like, a lot of it. Yeah, me too. I mean, that was like, you know, for me, most of what therapy has been about has been about... um addressing that and um mm-hmm. and 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 letting go of a lot of the shame because I, I i experienced a lot of bullying too when i was younger and i grew up in a my parents you know i get along great with my parents now i have a great relationship with them it took a little while but we got there um yeah. so i don't have anything bad to say about them right now but it was you know volatile at times my dad was in law enforcement he was really stern strict guy and i am yeah. sensitive and i was always like i was like uh, very artsy fartsy as well i drew a lot right. i spent a lot of time exploring my imagination and being creative mm-hmm. and he was just all about you know these are the things you have to learn in life otherwise you're gonna fucking die and so it was just he was just very you know he had that right kind of approach and um i got a lot out of that i mean there are a lot of lessons that i learned that i carry with me to this day that he instilled in me by being really tough on me but um but yeah so there was this conflict within me because i you know i guess i just developed this idea of what a what a man should be from him yeah and i was never going to live up to that because i'm just not like him in that way um Mm -hmm. and uh and therapy has been one of the things that has has got me to realize that i don't actually have to be like him i'm actually you know a totally separate person with Mm -hmm. different emotions and different needs and um and so learning how to learning how to have a relationship with him where i didn't feel like i was constantly having to live up up to his expectations yeah Yeah, um that's been very freeing for me and um very that's amazing yeah that's great yeah that's a big thing and and that's what it is too like uh you know, yeah, it's about like letting go of your preconceived notions and reconnecting with you and then loving you, you know, well, you say which reconnecting... sounds easy to do, but it's not like, it's not that easy. No, it's not. It's really not. I can't do affirmations. Right? Sometimes people say like write affirmations on your wind, on your mirror and I can't do that, that shit. Me. Like I can't look at myself in the mirror and say, I love you. Like that doesn't work for me. So I have to, you have to right. like, find different ways to kind of reconnect with these but you talked about that before you've mentioned that a few times so it's like reconnecting with really who you are and like what, yes. what do you exactly do you mean when you say that you're talking about like reconnecting with five-year-old naomi who was just innocent there and, was some of that you know? i definitely did some of that in therapy where um i would like visit an, a little version of like me at a certain age and would talk to that person and it was like a i forget what the therapy is but it was done in my therapy session um kind but, of a trip to do that it's trippy when you get when you like having compassion for like your younger self yeah um, yeah that is tricky but once you figure out because like 
If people talk shit about your friend the way that you mm-hmm. talked shit about yourself when you were younger, yeah. you, you, as a friend, you would be like, hey, that's wrong. You shouldn't talk shit. But when you're directing it inwards, no one's there to really check that. You know, No one checks that. Yeah, you, you're responsible for checking in like, wait, why am I being so hard on myself? And then identifying what those voices are. Like uh, a lot of it was when my dad would like make me feel small, uh, say I wasn't good, like not saying directly, I won't, you're not good enough, but like would always try to correct me or stuff like that. And that was, and just identifying like what those things are, like, what, is that my mom? Is that my dad? Is that like me at a certain age? Is that somebody who bullied me? Like what, what are these things that I tell myself internally? I don't vocalize, um, that make me feel awful. And like, where do those come from? Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I think reconnecting with myself, it's more like, you know, a lot of it was a mask. A lot of it was me trying to be everything for everyone to be accepted, to be loved. Like I wanted everyone to like me. I wanted to be the perfect person. Um, so a lot of me like trying to be the parent that really in the family was me trying to be perfect, right. you know, no flaws, which of course is impossible because we're all humans. So uh, I just had to let go of that because that wasn't me. You know, and then, of course, I'm also playing a character every day on character. And I say that because it's still it's still me, but it's like a heightened version and it's scripted. And sure, of course, you know, um, I'm not always like (laughs) that enthusiastic about stuff. So when I talk to people like, for example, right now, so um, I think uh, and I am enthusiastic about this. That's not what I meant. I just meant like I'm not going to be like, hey, Hutch, how's it going? You know. I'm more casual about it, but, uh, yeah. yeah, So I think, um, was I saying, oh yeah, just like, uh, I just like really getting in touch with yourself means like letting go of, uh, the idea of who you think you're, you are, how you want to be perceived, caring about what other people think of you. I mean, the list goes on, but it's just like, just know, like, no matter who you're seeing, like whoever you're talking to or interacting with, like. Just come as you, faults and all, and own those faults. And I had a hard time with that. Like, I had a hard time not being perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, it was like loving the, the imperfections, learning to love those fully, and then, like, be able to bring those in a conversation with, like, yeah. you or whoever I run into and, and be totally fine with that. Or, like, someone said, oh, like, you're... Oh, you drive that car? Like, usually this is like five-year-old me, but like, oh, you, you, you drive that car. Cause like my parents always had $300 cars. Like they were garbage, (laughs) but, um, I was so ashamed of that as a kid. So like if somebody ever, and this is just an example, if somebody like looked at my car and was like, ew, you drive that, I would have taken that personally. But now I'm like, yeah. And I fucking love it. (laughs) You know, I love this car. Um, so kind of that approach. Miles per gallon. Don't judge me. Yeah. Yeah. I freaking love my Ford Explorer. It's my baby. Oh, we got a Ford but, Fusion. We got a hybrid. Right. 30 miles to the gallon. Um, yeah. There I, you go. So like, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I One thing that I, I realized, I, you know, I didn't realize until later on, but when I got to adulthood, I started to, I was, I was always really concerned with people thinking that I was an idiot. Um, like, I oh was, my God. I was very stupid. Yes. And so I, That's me. I <laughs> right. So, um, hello. Hi, that's me. 
And uh, part of like a huge part of my personality formed where, you know, I, I just started like devouring books a lot when I was a kid. And I was just like, and, wow. and my whole goal was to just, I want to be someone that people think is intelligent, but no matter what, no, I stuff. Did, no matter what I did and nothing ever worked. I just always assumed that people thought I was stupid. And, um, you know, and more recently, even like getting into political stuff, covering, covering politics and stuff and just, you know, th- it's really brutal. And if you don't know your shit, you will get devoured by the audience on, uh, twitch and on twitter i mean political Mm -hmm. political twitter and twitch is just brutal and um and then i when i look back on my childhood you know my like i mentioned my dad did a lot of tough love well one of the ways that he would do tough love is if i did something stupid he would say like you 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 know he wouldn't curse a lot he would say you idiot you knothead you blockhead dummy like and, and when you hear those things a lot and he was just doing the best that he could. I mean, I'm you I don't, internalize it. Yeah, you definitely internalize it. And um, it didn't really make a lot of sense to me until sort of relatively recently, just how much of an impact that had on my life and, and how freeing it is to just, if I don't know something, just say like, I don't know. And that's okay. It doesn't make me stupid. I just don't know. I don't need to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. I mean, it just, it's yeah. not that big of a deal. It doesn't make me an idiot. And, and, and realizing that has been very freeing, very um, liberating, I think. That is a hundred percent almost word for word what I was dealing with. Like I had a hard time acting like I didn't know. And a lot of it is cause you know, I think the age of the internet, like people will call you out if you have a typo in your tweet, like mm-hmm. and they can you get check anything you say in two minutes. You can, you know, so. yeah, yeah. So I just, I, I fell into that. Definitely. I think only once I started working on the internet and, uh, people will call out my stuff, like how I say Mario, Mario instead of Mar- Mario. And now I'll never make that mistake again. But like, I don't know why that keeps sticking with me, but it's like one of the first things that somebody corrected me on a, when I hosted like my first day with IGN. But um, I just like, it's totally, yeah, I felt, fell into that where I was like, I need to have everything perfect. And if I, if I sound dumb or if I, mess up like that's I'll never be able to live that down you know or like it would it would just humiliate me to no end and so yeah learning to not know stuff and to flub or to like not be perfect that's the best and just you totally word for word said what I I had been going through for so long I just could not accept that I didn't know something you know because for many years I was called stupid in school like throughout my whole life pretty much I was like oh you're at least you're pretty Oh, you know, it's okay. Dumb blonde or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and I wanted so, and, and, you know, and it didn't help that my parents, uh, had their own insecurities about that. So that was my model. And, um, but it's so freeing. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, you know, partly it's the internet too, like putting this pressure on people to be perfect. And yeah, there's like an instant permanent record of every mistake that you make. And then people yep. can just pull out those mistakes anytime you say something dumb they can yeah. just you know and now i'm like yeah i said that right yeah. usually it would bother me and be like oh well i actually meant this or you know well what about um what about pets you said you have a, you have a little doggy is that something that uh-huh. you think has been beneficial to your mental health yes i think um yeah because what it taught me was like i was so focused on work pretty much pretty much until covid happened like that was you know I had that pressure that I was putting on myself, like, do something great. Like, what's your next move? Like, what's your next big thing? What's your next big gig? Like, what, you know, what are you doing? You know, you left IGN just to do, to do what, (laughs) you know? 
Um, and that was the narrative in my head. And so every day I would wake up and be like, I need to get this done, this, this, this. Meanwhile, I need to organize my whole life behind the scenes. Like I was just like, uh, what do you call it? Like type A, everything had to be in orderly and, and moving, you know, like I need to be going somewhere. If I'm mm -hmm. not moving, I'm just standing still. So that was the mentality I was going with. And then COVID happened and then that all went by the wayside, you know, <laughs> I had to do everything from home. I couldn't go out to auditions like I was hoping to that. I, 2020 was supposed to be, you know, as they all say, my year, you know, I was going to make it big, you know, go back into the audition space, start, you know, doing stuff during pilot season. It's a nice even number. It's a very official right? number, 2020. I was like, this so, is it. Yeah. I, I, I made the money I needed to, to like feel, have a nice safe bed so I could pursue this seriously. And I was going to make my short films and all this stuff. And then COVID happened and I was like, fuck. And, um, and then I had, a, you know, I had depression and I got Odie like in the month of May and what he taught me, my little Odin Bowden, his name's Odin, but we call him Odie or so, Odie Bodie. We love that name here on this stream. That's yeah. Great, he's great. great. Yeah. He's great. Um, so he taught me to be like, just appreciative of things that aren't work, like learn to enjoy something just for the sake of enjoying. It doesn't have to be monetized. It doesn't have to go yep. online. It doesn't have to be, you know, that whole shtick, like that hustle. Yeah. Every time it was like, oh, how do I monetize this? You know, I'd have a great idea for, I don't know, painting or something. I'd be like, okay, maybe I can sell it. You know, I'll, be, I'll post this really nice photo online. Uh, maybe, you know, I'll do a stream about me painting it. Or yeah. I'm like, no, like just stop. <laughs> You just you know? get so wired to do that. And, uh, and, uh, and so much of this job has to do with, um, you know, people that work at a, at a sort of um, a, maybe like a salaried nine to five or whatever. You know, it, obviously, they're judged for their work, but it's not mm -hmm. quite as granular as as people that are influencers or streamers or hosts because you're measured by the sort of audience that you can bring in and there are peaks and valleys. And so if you have a yep. bad, bad year it can be devastating personally. And I, I totally connected with you, like reconnecting with the things that get you out of that mindset, because you're not going to solve yeah. whatever problem you think you have by just constantly stressing about it. In fact, that's probably right. counterproductive. So the best thing 100%. that you can do a lot of the times, if you're going through a rut is to do things that bring you joy, go camping, get a dog, uh, learn, yeah. to, learn to cook or just, just make sure you have some space in your mind that is totally divorced from all this work stuff and uh just for you like refeed like feeding yourself instead of feeding your career like what is gonna feed you that's gonna open like when people do that and you're describing it perfectly it's like just go out camping go out reconnect with nature like Odie would make me laugh so much and he was so adorably cute uh cute that i was just like always love like just love 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 you know like that's what i was feeling and it, that let me that like forced me out of this thing it was gradual but like it forced me out of this constant like need to monetize stuff and and uh and i think what really helped too it's like i was i was the thing too is i'm going off on tangents here but like when you're a produ when you're a host or like when you do what we do on the internet you're not just like the talent you're the producer you're the director like you're the person judging yourself mm -hmm. like yeah. that's horrible you should not be judging yourself on a day-to-day -day basis to that level like yeah. oh did i mess up that interview oh i didn't get that gig i got rejected like it's because of this it's be like you're the person who's like supposed to be the the outside party but you're just constantly it's just you doing everything yeah 
And, you know, and you can always find the time to just beat yourself up for not doing something as well as you wanted to do. I mean, right. You're your own boss. And like bosses sometimes have judgmental, you know, things that they put on other people and you're doing that to yourself. Yeah. I mean, there's how do you escape that? You can't. It's your job. There's a lot of freedom with the job. It's a, it's a fun job. It's a great job, but there's, yes. there's also a lot of room for, um, to spiral just like really oh, spiral yeah. quickly. And so, yeah, I think, yeah. I think, um, I imagine both of us have gotten better about, uh, yeah. you know, breaking feed, away, feeding those other parts of our soul that need to be fed. Yes. So uh, and when people do that, they get more creative. Sorry to interrupt. That was no, the idea yeah. I was trying to remember, but yeah, yeah, it's like when you do that, you come out of it like I gave myself luckily I had you know a good safety net with Kyle and like I was still making money uh little gigs on the side and stuff so I didn't have to worry about money I didn't have to like if I had that extra worry I don't know if I would have been able to do the healing that I did but for me I needed like six months maybe even a year like some people take a month off they're like I'm gonna take a month off YouTube for my mental health I'm like you I need a whole two, maybe three years, but I did, you know, through COVID have more time to myself and to reflect and deal with my inner demons. And, um, that I come out of it, you know, having learned, okay, you know, just enjoy today for today. Don't do anything work-related, maybe send one email and that's it. And then you kind of gradually heal from this, like, yeah, the, the the hamster wheel that's just going on forever in your head that goes away. And then you come out of it and you're like, bursting with creative ideas because now you don't have that added pressure yeah and i feel like that's what happens you know the classic band musician band they come out with one album but that album took you know five years to make right and it was like years of work and they weren't on on any schedule they weren't under pressure to do it and then they get to that part where they're they blow up and now they have to come out with a new album like that year and now they're under pressure and when do they what happens that album ends up sucking Cause they didn't take that break, you know, to like get their creative juices flowing again. And it's, yeah. it is a process, you know? Yeah. This was a, this holiday season was the first holidays without my older sister. And, um, yeah. it, I, I could feel, I could feel a darkness coming on, um, in the beginning yeah. of this, uh, December and I, and I grappled with it and I thought about it a while. And then finally I just decided, you know what, I'm going to take a week off. I just, um, I need to, not be in front of a webcam for a little bit and just kind of go through the holidays. Mm-hmm. And then that turned into two weeks, but I felt so much better after doing that. And um, yeah. I didn't even really do much during that time. And we were still in lockdown. So I played uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. I put like 150 hours into that game. And I just, that, that game just gave me so much joy. And That's I loved a great it. game. And um, it was exactly what I needed. And, and you're right, exactly. You know, when I came back, I felt like I had sort of proverbially, um, splash some cold water on my face and, and felt yeah. a lot better refreshed and, um, let me so, tell you this do you ever take sorry oh no, no go ahead go ahead go ahead no, no. do you ever take vacations like yeah, we, well like I mean, cut away from everything like truly like not on your phone or anything um that's tough i try to do that sometimes like esme and i will before covid i mean we would we would try to go to like a new airbnb like every couple of months and just get away for the weekend and we've also we've taken a couple trips to hawaii we took a trip to spain and portugal um but you know cutting the phone out that is difficult for me i'm very addicted to social media um i'm getting better about it these days but i don't know about your experience but my experience is when i spend less time on social media i'm way healthier Better. and way oh, more me productive too. And, and yeah uh, a part of the reason i had to let go of a lot of stuff too like i said it's a lot i had to let go of a lot of um just 
unhealthy habits. But yeah, social media, because I would be like, oh, I lost followers today or, you know, like you measure, right? Like you said earlier. And uh, it's so unhealthy. And then that's why I took a break, because I'm like, I need to completely tear this down so I can actually come back to it in a healthy way. It's, it's just so I need unnatural. to cut so out. I need to not care that I didn't post for two weeks or even I think I didn't post on Instagram for like two months at one point. I didn't post a YouTube video for like three months. And I was like, I need to let go of that. And it took me that time to like finally get back to a healthy well, place. Imagine like trying to explain to like hunter gatherers. Mm, yeah. The stress of... Um, maintaining relevance on social media it's just so unnatural and so i'm I'm all of it and it's all new like our culture our our human brains like our biology is not used to any of this yeah this constant flow of endorphins and uh information that yeah it's not healthy and it's cortisol which is really bad um it'll keep you up at night fuck with your sleep if you have too much of that pumping through your veins yep i had many of those nights (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, um, uh, listen, yeah. I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I got to make some dinner here pretty soon and I'm Ooh. sure you got some things you got to get to, but I really appreciate Dude. you coming on. And I, and, and I, again, I was really looking forward to this because you and Kyle are just a couple of my favorite people in the industry and, um, Aww. and, uh, your honesty and, uh, openness throughout this discussion has been appreciated. I, I enjoyed getting to know you and, um, I'm, oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, I enjoy getting to know you too. We have a lot of similar stuff, and you know, if ever you need another, like you could have Kyle on, or I could I could come on again. But I think there's so much to unpack that, and I'm uh, actually what I really want to say is thank you for talking about mental health on your podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the reason why I was kind of actually I don't even know if I expressed this, but I was very excited to be a part of this podcast because I podcast helped me a lot um when i was really down in the dumps and i went to i just looked i listened to so many different podcasts from different people one of the ones that i really attached to uh personally is like a armchair expert and like all these podcasts and these people having these very open conversations about their struggles truly like i can't even i can't even express like how much it helped me yeah. And so that's why I was excited to be part of this. Cause like now I can hopefully help someone else. And I, yeah. that's why I kind of wanted to come at it from like, I'm just going to be completely open book. Like just say literally everything, like just, you know, verbal diary, everything that, um, that I went through and not kind of have any, um, trepidation or cause like the more open and the more we tell our stories that the more we're open and we can tell our stories, um, the, the better we as a society, like, become because hopefully you're helping like another 10 people and then they help another 10 and it's like yeah i think it helps us to have these uh difficult conversations also because we're personalities and this is what we do we're like public we're public figures we're always out there we're always spewing like our voice and you know being open about stuff we're experienced in this but other people you know like for me for a long time we're ashamed are ashamed or don't want to share or are scared to share mm-hmm. um, or feel ashamed about it. So I, I think, you know, people like us and why I love <laughs> part of the reason why I love this industry, too, is because you meet people like you who, you know, are not only people you aspire to be, but like 
completely open and honest and accepting and have gone through it, have gone through like the ups and downs to a degree that like no human really normally should have to go through because um, we're doing it all publicly and then we have to manage that on top of like our personal lives. And I just think we, we as creatives too, we're just, you know, we can only ever help each other. Like if, if we're all, we're, we're in this community together and we're kind of like, we know how hard, hard, how hard this job is. So it's like, we're, we're going to help each other because you needed that help when you started out too. And thank God somebody came along that was that way. And yep. so, yep. and we're only as good as like, I don't know what I was going to say there, but we're just, we're well, <laughs> I'm going a, off well, on a tangent, well, but I really, no, you hit on something that's really good because there's so much competition in this space yes. and, 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 yes. and, and trying to replace that competition instead with uh, empathy and cooperation, I think is really appealing. And yeah, I think, and I think it's what happens naturally as a creative and somebody who's been in this space, like as long as you have and myself, it's like, you just have to, you just kind of go through the ringer and all of a sudden you come out of it and you're like, Oh my gosh, like, um, you kind of, you, you just have like, you, you've gone through, so I don't know, I don't know what it is about creatives, but they, they end up like having to go through this crazy journey of like self-discovery. Cause a lot of it, I don't know. I feel like when you're on camera, you're trying to be like in front of the camera or you're trying to be like liked by everybody, but you have to learn the hard way. Like that, those things don't actually fulfill you and don't make no, you no. feel happy, like money, no. fame, attention, like none of it actually feeds the soul. And so we kind of have to go through this. And I feel like a lot of actors and, and people go through this from what I've heard and from the podcast I've listened to, it's like, it's a common thing. And we all have, you know, we all have it and experience it at different points in our lives. You know, some people it's earlier, some people, for me, it was later. Mm -hmm. Um, but this level of growth where you do develop like this understanding of like what it is to be human and like, how, then you develop this sense of like, oh my God, like this other person's human. Why would I ever like judge them for being who they are? Like, I want them to be so happy to be themselves, you know, like yeah. kind of helping, helping the, the other and yeah. like be a parent for another in some ways. Yeah. That's and, kind of the goal. I appreciate, I really appreciate you saying that. That's like the whole point of the true. podcast. So th yeah, that means a lot to me. Keep doing that. Are you, are, is, so is your podcast, I'm sorry if I don't know this, <laughs> is your podcast mostly about mental health or is it just because of mental health month that you're doing this? No, no, no. It's, it, it had nothing to do with mental health month. I didn't even know that was a thing oh. this month. It was just yeah, something it's, it's, that. It's a uh, thing this month. So thanks for doing it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I didn't know that, but um, no, I just started, I started it, uh, I want to say two months ago, just because I felt like I was kind of coming out of the fog of like a really difficult time and yeah. then I just remembered I had been through you know many other difficult times and it's just something I've always wanted to do I just think that I, th I think you're right I think I think society functions better when people are open about their yeah. struggles and they don't stigmatize it and they don't treat it like it's a exactly. burden and uh, you know th they treat it like it's only something that weak people go through and I think yeah. the more that we can sort of normalize that sort of attitude about mental health the quicker we can evolve as a as a 100%. society so thank yeah. you for coming on and contributing to that and um being, of course sharing your story with us i appreciate it yeah. and uh, we have to do the uh, barbecue here pretty soon you guys are a little far away from us so we may have okay. to do um like an airbnb situation like go over there and then i'm down stay. but uh yeah let's um i'll i'll text you and 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 we'll figure out a, a date where we can do that because i'd love to come over and see your house hang out with your dog ah uh, yes you need to meet Odie. he is the greatest he looks odin great. he looks like a good boy yeah <laughs> he's great all right well enjoy your evening tell kyle i say hi and uh I yeah, will. i'll talk to you soon all right later thank you so much for having me
But, oh, actually, no. Do you want to plug anything like social media? Anything Ooh, like that? Um, let me see. So, no, just, you know, look up Naomi Kyle. Follow me on on YouTube. I'm actually doing a lot of YouTube content now because I feel like, I don't know, I just want to start be creative and I, I have the itch. So I'm going to start. So I've started posting like some ga- gameplay videos. I'm going to do a lot more on that front. So definitely check out my YouTube channel. Okay. Do you play Apex, yeah. by the way? Oh, yeah. You do? Are okay. you playing? I'm playing oh, arena, right so if you if you ever want to play arena, I'm down. Mm-hmm. I know Kyle's also gotten really into it too, but I think he actually switched over to Overwatch Two now that that's out. Overwatch Two. But, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. No. Uh, well, Overwatch or yeah, is it out second, now? No, no, the second one's not out yet. But so they, but the they, first they, Overwatch, he's probably yeah, because he says it's a, in a really good state now, so he's gone back to it. Okay. That's what he was talking about. Because I, I yeah, I should probably know that Overwatch Two is out yet. Okay. But yeah, it's um, yeah. So if you if you want to get in on, in on some Apex, I need I need to get back into, like I don't think the I think the last few games I played have all been single player. So I need to do something team based. I'm like, I'm due for that. <laughs> well, Esme loves Apex as well, so yeah, maybe. We yeah, that was the last game I played with her. I think so. That's right. There yeah, I think I played with you and her one time. I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you were amazing, and you, like, carried us so hard. It was great. <laughs> I think so. All right. Well, Naomi, <laughs> enjoy your night. Thanks for coming on again. I appreciate it. Of course. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Have a good dinner. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. Fucking love this. I love this podcast. Good, good podcast. I enjoy myself. <laughs>